0: what is up everybody welcome back to another episode of x knows all i have my first family member slash actual celeb on the podcast today we have sierra kato who's my dear, dear cousin my dad is siblings with her mom and she is a famous comic alumni of harvard was featured on the sex lives of college girls was on harvard's lampoon which is a very prestigious publication at harvard university Millionaires, Sierra. Sorry, I call her millionaires, Sierra. How are you doing today? Oh wow,
1: I'm so excited to be on. I'm a longtime listener, you know, first time inter- interviewed. <laughs> um, so big X knows all fan over here, and big Christy fan over here. Um, so that, so yeah, obviously, I'm very excited to be here and chat about everything.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited for for you to be here. So, I kind of gave a quick like. Notes version, but maybe tell the audience about who you are, like kind of I really wanted to get you on the podcast because I was very interested in kind of you filming like one of the biggest TV shows like ever on HBO Max now called Max, you know, being in this in the entertainment industry ever since you graduated college performing stand up in Hollywood, like weekly, it seems like you're always doing shows like I feel like you have such a fresh Young, cool perspective on the space. And this is something I could never understand, nor am I. Sh- I'm sure that 99.9% of my listeners also don't understand it. So I'm really curious to hear your perspective on just like your life and your job. But before we get into that, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah. It um, was so exciting. I love your, <laughs> I love you. You're like on it. I love, cause it's like I listen to the podcast and then I'm like, oh, I wonder if like, you know, how it Counts works in the go. time. It's like, to the listeners, it's it's live. Christy's on it. Okay. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it's happening live. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yes, I uh, so I started as a stand-up comedian. I still do stand-up comedy. I kind of also always wanted to be a TV writer. So I write for TV. Um, kind of most recently, a lot of comedy, of course, but uh, adult animated shows, most of which probably people haven't heard of. There are about 5,000 million shows out there. So um, understandable, but probably the most recent one that I wrote for that came out is called Close Enough and it was on Max. But unfortunately, it got taken down. <laughs> a lot of shows have been taken down on stuff too, so I think that's also a recent thing. I'm also on strike right now because um, I'm part of the WGA. Would you know? Totally happy to talk about that. Um, but also the um, uh, I also act, and so yes, I was in most recently the Sex Lives of College Girls. I play Evangeline, who's um, in the storyline of Bella. Um, and I have been in a few other things, and it's just you know I'm I I think when you do stand up sometimes you're kind of um, also open to doing yeah, acting and comedy or wherever. So that's sort of newer for me um, as far as like I wasn't a theater kid, but uh, I love it. It's very fun. Um, so yeah, so I kind of try to do all the things in comedy and you know, I still, uh, I, I used to do a podcast, which Christy was on. Um, there's, you know, so many things to do. Um, and I think most people that you talk to now, it's like, you just do a bunch of things. Cause you're trying to throw a lot at the wall and see what sticks.
0: Um, and that's kind of <clears throat> what, what I've learned is
1: the way I like to work.
0: Yeah. I, you have so many like whatever like drops in the book like you're doing so many different things and like you said you started off just doing stand-up comedy like locally you're born and raised in los angeles you moved to boston obviously for college you stayed there for a couple of years right and then you move, eventually moved back to la because that's where a lot of the business is for your industry so i'm curious like out of everything what would you say you're you enjoy the most like mm. comedy is it writing is it acting like or i guess if it's not one what's like your favorite facet of each Sure.
1: Yeah. I think it's like, it's probably not just one. It's like, if I really liked just one, I probably would stick to it. But there's kind of the issue of like, stand up is great if you're, you know, touring theaters and getting paid, but, <laughs> but that's not a stage I'm at yet. So I think I couldn't just do stand up because I need to, mm-hmm. you know, make a living, but also it's not as fun if, you know, your audience is just a few people at a small show or whatever, if you're not always getting to go up and do, um, I guess shows for a lot of people. Um, so I think that aspect I don't like about stand-up is that it's kind of like, you know, not a real job in many ways, as far as like monetary um, compensation. And then, but I like the idea of getting to like write and perform your own stuff and have a lot of creative control. You are the director and the editor and the performer and the writer, right? And so you kind of get to do it all uh, on stage. And I love the live aspect, but you know, the TV writing, it's, it's, is more of a job. You know, you're paid for Hmm. your time and you get to contribute to something that a lot of people will see. Um, But, you know, you don't have creative control in the same way because you probably, at least at my stage, I'm one of several writers on a writing staff. So it's not a show um, I created necessarily. I don't have final say. So, you know, you, you get to write an episode or pitch and pitch all these jokes and hopefully gets them in and it's really rewarding. But I think, um, you know, I, I've heard say some standup comedians move into writing and feel, Hey, I don't actually, uh, get as much creative control. And so actually I, I much prefer to be making my own stuff. Um, but actually I do. I mean, for my own opinion, I do love the writing gigs because I think it's like, it feels a little bit more, um, stable and Mm. more scheduled. And, um, to make a X knows all reference when you were talking about taking time off to focus on the podcast alone, I like resonated with that so much where it's like, you get burnt out. I think if you're only working on, you know, a project where you're kind of in your, uh, maybe you're working alone, maybe you're, just focusing on, um, something that doesn't necessarily have like <laughs> separation with your life. And I think that can happen with standup, um, and maybe acting too, because you're like, I'm in my body. This is me. People are digesting me. You can feel like if you're not getting good feedback, it's, it's a reflection of you versus if you're working a job for a company or like working on a TV show, and then that doesn't do well, like you're going to still feel really um, sad about it, but I think it's not as much of a like referendum on your soul. (laughs) Um, So anyway, so I think I, yeah, I definitely resonated with what you were saying there with like, kind of, it's nice to kind of work on other projects so that you can feel that separation a little bit. Um, And then acting, you know, is great. I think that's another thing too, where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not at a stage in acting where I get to call the shots. So I think there's a little bit of like, you come in, you're reading other people's words, you get direction from, you know, the person who is the showrunner or the director, or whoever, and the, and um, you want to realize their vision and help them get to where, you know, they want their show to be at. And that's really exciting and fun because I'm learning so much, but certainly, you know, you're kind of a piece of a much larger picture. And I think that, um, yeah, so I think that can feel either like kind of nice because maybe it's not as much pressure as being like the full creative controller, but also um, if you're somebody who wants to realize a vision, you know, maybe maybe it's better to go write your own thing and try to sell it and make it. So acting you know is is more about being a part of somebody else's vision too, you know, depending on what kind of project.
0: Yeah. That's so interesting. I never thought of it in the way of, like, full creative control. Because when you think about, like you said, if you're, you're part of the WGA, you're on a team of people that are contributing to writing this script. You're not the sole person. When, whenever I think of, like, script writing, like, for example, like, this is the one show that came to my mind, like, um, F- White Lotus, for example. Like, mm-hmm. at the very end, at the beginning, after the the be- the starting credits, it's, like, written and directed by Mike White. So, like, I guess I envision in a show like a random show such as white lotus there's like a single person writing it but like Uh is that i guess like two things one thing i can totally understand like having the autonomy to kind of get to do and say exactly what you want to do and say and there is creative control around that but at the same time it's also very scary to get up on a literal stage and present your work to everyone and maybe it doesn't land or whatever there's just a lot more pressure i'd imagine but it's i'm sure it's very a lot more rewarding because it is your own and yours only to keep whereas if you're on a show you're contributing to like a fraction of the pie Mm -hmm. so when it does succeed of course it's rewarding but it's not necessarily as fulfilling as something that you create entirely on your own I guess the other thing that I was going to bring up is like for all shows or I guess like the majority of shows is it typically a team of writers on a script or like for example, with White Lotus, is Mike White literally writing the entire thing and that's why his name is the only like credit or is there a team of people typically behind the script of White Lotus?
1: Right, right. No, that's a great question. And actually White Lotus, you specifically picked like that's a unique show. So I think Mike White, yes, he actually writes that entire thing himself and directs it. So it's a real like a tour, you know, and he's so talented and I like love so many of his things. And so he kind of, um, That, yeah, that's the way he does it. And that's the way he works. And there are some other shows like that, but it's very small. I think it's like, you know, uh, a small percentage of shows and even a smaller percentage of like showrunners want to operate that way. And if they want to, they can. And I think um, that's actually something that we're on strike about because I think a lot more um studios, you know, they see that and they're like, hey, it's a little cheaper if just one guy writes the whole thing. So, you know, what if we what if we start doing that more? And the real the reality is that's like an exception to the rule. All the shows, you know, you need a team. And it's 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 just a lot of work, you know, to write it all yourself. Um it's gonna the quality is gonna suffer. And so traditionally, yeah, it's been. lot of writers and I think what happened recently is studios trying to save money um trying to make a profit for uh you know and then save on the labor right um they are making these rooms smaller and smaller and so that's actually one of the big things the strike is fighting against quote unquote mini rooms and I've been in like kind of exclusively mini rooms I joined the guild in 2019 so I have been in like uh lot of writers rooms, but all are pretty, you know, maybe like five or six writers total. And that's actually a lot smaller. I think like maybe in shows that are kind of legacy, like, um, that have been around for a while and kind of obviously are great, um, and work super well. So they also profit a lot. Uh, family guy I've heard or like, you know, big network shows, any network drama that you watch network sitcoms, um, and kind of have like, I think like 13 to 16 writers. And so a wow. lot of, but oftentimes, you know, they're writing maybe more episodes, but not like so much more where the, oftentimes what happens with these mini rooms is it's just more work for the people, but for either the same or less uh pay. So so anyway, so I think the, the, it's typically a team. I think the teams sh- are starting to shrink a little bit, but the hope is that, you know, we can get more people because it's like, you know, people want to write for TV. It's, it's a, it's jobs, it's um people's dreams. So we don't want to like cut that off just so that people can save money or whatever. And then, um, yeah, I think, I think that if you're actually in the position of running a show like you're dealing with budget you're dealing with hiring directors casting um all the sorts of like legal situation mm-hmm. stuff you don't want to be writing you know making edits on episode 3 when you're trying to you, somebody can do that like you can have a team of really talented people who can still take your direction and know your tone and know the show you're trying to make um but you don't have to get mixed up in the weeds while you're you know trying to actually run a show so um so yeah i think that is how it's typically done and how it's really well run and then also on top of that what you were asking about the um you know being a part of a team versus kind of being Mm -hmm. maybe the main thing i think you know i love the collaboration of being a part of a team and like you know maybe it's because i'm still newish to this um And so I just want to also like learn and absorb a lot more from people who are like more seasoned and have all the experience to kind of impart on people like myself so that maybe one day I could, you know, run a show. That's a dream of mine, but I don't want to do that tomorrow just so that I can, you know, get all my jokes in the script and make it my vision. Like, I think I need a lot more experience, like collaborating with funnier people, smarter people, more experienced people to then get to that point where I can make something I'd be proud of
0: right right and i think of like the one so how long has the writer strike been going on for at, at this point it's yeah. july 9th
1: yeah yeah so we're i think in week 10.
0: um I so might how does that work so does that mean her. you guys you guys just like don't excuse me for my ignorance but like the one time that i remember this happening was in high school and i remember yeah. this because gossip world was airing when i was in high school <laughs> and they had to like pause production or whatever because and like we didn't get new oh. episodes hitting the cw because of the writer's truck and that's like the oh, last really? time i remember it happening mm-hmm. yeah like in 2000 this was back in 2008 maybe okay um, yes, yes so the last one so so i i think of like and of course i just think of like a corporate america like of tech layoffs for example like Ooh, i was yeah. laid off from a very big tech company um no ma- doesn't matter how much money you have like you'll just your 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 job is like disposable just it's and it feels like mm-hmm. this is happening now and like the inter- I'm thinking of like this layoff season actually kind of happening in like the entertainment industry where, like you said, they're trying to cut costs. You're just trying to get to the bottom line to get like mm-hmm. the highest bottom line as possible. So in order to do that, you cut your overhead, you cut your expenses, etc. And maybe they just see like writers as being like collateral damage to it. It just feels like a stream of layoffs in like the entertainment industry. But, anyways, what I'm getting at is like, how does that work? Do you guys all just like an email gets sent out, and it's like, "Hey, we're just not going to show up to work," and mm-hmm. like, because I know, like, the production of it ends with us with Blake Lively and Justin Baldoni. Oh yeah, that got shut down. Right, it got, <laughs> got shut down, and that's a movie that's based off of like one of my favorite books by Colleen oh, Hoover. Way, okay. But, anyways, yeah, I'm just curious, like, how do these strikes happen? Like, what is the impetus? Do you guys just you don't have wages? Like, what happens? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, look, nobody wants to shut anything down. It's 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 um basically the way that the writer's guild works, it's, um, I think approximately like 12, 13,000 members. I might be off, but it's Mm -hmm. across, you know, both East and West coast, um, and in between. And basically every three years we go into negotiations for like our minimum basic agreement with the studios. So the studios are like Netflix, Amazon, you know, these big, big companies that kind of keep getting bigger and, and fewer. And, um, you know we just negotiate with them about like hey what's the minimum you can pay a writer you know let's let's set a minimum so that that we're not getting people coming in and doing it for free because they're passionate about the project you know because certainly that this is an industry where people would want to do that and if they could um so we just sort of need a union um and I think this year it was like, oh yeah, we probably, you know, it's going to be a tough one because basically the last time we were in negotiations, it was 2020. And of course that was COVID. So we were just like trying to get through it and be like, okay, we just need to make sure people still have jobs and like, can, you know, take care of their kids. And it's scary out there. So 2023 comes around and it's like, oh God, okay. We have a lot to cover here because last time we didn't necessarily get to fight for as much as we wanted to make progress, you know? And a lot of times now it's sort of like just fighting against uh, studios kind of pulling back and trying to actually, you know, make it less, uh, get your pay even less, you know, so you're really just trying to fight, stay, keep your head above the water. Um, so anyway, this time around, uh, I think it was like, we're so far apart from them as far as what we want versus what they're willing to give us that there was a chance there's going to be a strike. So then they go out to the membership and they say, Hey guys, there's a chance that we might need you to strike in order for us to get where we want to go. So are you guys willing to do that? And we're all like, yeah, yeah. You know we see how bad it is like we're willing to do that. And so you were right. Like basically we knew we we're waiting May 1st at midnight. If an email is gonna go out to say, hey, don't go into work tomorrow or you know, don't you know cancel that meeting or ask for that script back that you just sent out. You know, so many rules what? tell your reps don't don't you know close that deal that you're gonna close. Yeah. Like it, it it sucks so much for writers too, you know, like I think we are fighting to have a better future but i think also in the immediate in the immediate future a lot of people um yeah including myself like i was going to start a job and it got postponed you know um hopefully till after the strike but it's just a bummer because you know it's of course work that i would have loved to do but it's for the future of this career. And so, and then AI came into the picture too, kind of around the same time. We weren't even thinking it was going to be an issue that it got really good. And then now studios were kind of like, Hey, what's this over here? And so we are trying to also fight to be like, yeah, let's not replace us with robots. Um, <laughs> let's, and SAG too, SAG, uh, the actors guild also might go on strike. So it's a lot. And, you know, I feel for, you know, um, everybody, including myself, you know, who have lost projects or lost, um, income because of this, but uh, the hope is that, yeah, we we show enough like resolve so that they come back to the table to then give us at least something that we can live with, you know? Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, wait, that's crazy though, that got, it was affected or it affected Gossip Girl back in 2008. So that was the last writer's strike, and that also that was really important. That was kind of when streaming was coming into the picture. Um yes. I think Friday Night Lights also apparently got really messed up or something. Like season two is like considered it was like written by random like producers or people who just weren't writing staff. And I guess like things went crazy. I never watched that show, but apparently like things went crazy. Somebody like killed a guy. They're like, This isn't that character. And then season three, they just like pretended <laughs> it never happened. <laughs> I'm like, okay, like let's completely out of, out of left field? Like, what? Yeah, yeah. And, okay, like, it's weird now, nice. too, because all that stuff is, like, linear TV. Like, oh, we need to get a season two out, so let's just figure it out. Um, but now, you know, stuff is streaming. Stuff is, like, production. So we may not see the impact of this for a while as far as, like, you know, Stranger Things got delayed. So Millie Bobby Brown's going to be, like, 37, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. we it might be a while. <laughs> and so that's, like, the biggest impact. But I think that's, uh, you know, hopefully... Things will get resolved soon. We'll be back on track. But um, yeah, I've been picketing. I go out and carry a little sign and walk around. And, you know, that's kind of my job
0: <laughs> these days. Do you, so do you go outside Universal like, we want rights? <laughs> yeah, we yeah, want yeah. rights. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, you can what, do it. So you what's, on, come? <laughs> what's on your sign? What is your oh, sign? Oh, gosh. Saying?
1: You know, so you go and you get to pick out of a pile of signs, you know, um, so I kind of try to just pick a neutral one. It's like, a, it's like a big, it's a big deal making a decision on that sign. Cause you're like, oh, I don't want to like pick this one. That's like a little too mean, you know, you don't be like, fuck you guys. You know, <laughs> it's like, Jesus. Yeah. So sometimes it's like, yeah. okay, here's this one. It's pretty like neutral, like WJ strong, like, yeah, union, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> union power. Right. Okay. I can live with that. But, you know, or it's yeah. like a weird joke that you're like, oh, I don't like that joke. I didn't write that. I don't want people to think I wrote this joke.
0: <laughs> Interesting. So they're like it's not funny written uh-huh. signs. It's not yeah. funny.
1: <laughs> it's not funny. I don't want people to think I'm not funny.
0: Yeah. Uh, like but lame.
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. So because I think what happened, I think the first day they were blank, so everybody went to town and we wrote our signs, and then you know thereafter we're like, okay, well, we're going to reuse these, but what what yeah. did people scribble um, nine weeks ago?
0: I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so. I wish you all the luck in that. That sounds very stressful. It just feels like I'm getting PTSD when I was unemployed and I'm just like, when is my, I mean, luckily my company gave me really good severance, um, but you know, I, it's very scary to be in that position. And I think that's just the nature, like this is why people in Hollywood like, They're just such go-getters. Like not everyone can make it in this business and it can be a fleeting thing either because you age out of Hollywood or you're just going to be typecasted or you don't look a certain way. Like it's a fucking hard industry. And I think- I mean, yeah, very used to being unemployed.
1: (laughs) Everybody is, I think
0: so. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I want to ask you too. Like it's very interesting because I remember growing up Well, first of all, I want to tell the audience like, our family has been in the US. Like, you and I are fourth generation, right? Fourth generation. And on your dad's side, you're fifth generation. Or same. I think I'm same. I'm also fourth.
1: Yeah. I guess because normally I don't count, or you do, I'm counting the people that came over. Some people don't do that. Yeah. But it's like great grandparents came over.
0: So right forth. our great-grandparents came yeah our great-grandparents came to the us in like the late like on our on my dad's side on Sierra's mom's side in the late 1800s and so we forged our path in the us since the late 1800s like anytime someone says something racist to me well like the couple of times maybe something i, sh- I should have been like "Bitch, i'm more american than you okay i've been here longer than probably your family's been here shut up um and it's very interesting because our family came to la And we had this very crazy lineage of like the things that our ancestors, like our great-grandfather came to LA. He was a Chinese herbalist and like ended up making a shit ton of money, was like very wealthy, had this like booming practice. um, And he was dead set on like making our family as American as possible, which is why no one on our side of the family can speak Chinese because our grandfather couldn't even his yeah. his father because he was born in los angeles mm-hmm. and no one taught them chinese because they were just trying to assimilate as quickly as possible in any case our grandfather was very artistic he died when sierra and i were quite young you were even younger but he forged his path in like the la art scene and was like a cartoonist and an artist and he was featured in like the new york times the new yorker like so many publications i'm trying to think of anything any other he worked for warner brothers Yeah, yeah. He he
1: did in between sketches for like anime, like Bugs Bunny. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, you know, all sorts of like uh, daily like cartoon things or, yeah, I guess publications that probably, um, yeah, just a lot, a lot
0: of like a lot. And, And he, right. And like they had my grandfather and my grandma had four children. So Cedar's mom and my dad being two of the four. And then we also had a bunch of, cousins and second cousins because our grandfather had like a shit ton of kids because that's what you did when it's like you know late 1800 (laughs) um and then our our uncle is like the official photographer for like the dodgers and he takes like the most incredible photos is like always on like in different cities taking like the coolest photos has met so many famous people like we had a um a wedding like a it was like a welcome it was like an engagement party, remember? Oh yeah, at the Dodgers Stadium. Yeah, they completely like, shut yeah. down the stadium, and we had it at the Dodgers Club, and we had like a bunch of Dodger dogs, and like took all these professional oh, pictures. Yeah. And, okay. yeah, like I. So it, it's always very interesting to me because our family has forged a very different path. And whenever people think of just like Asians immigrating, it's like doctors and lawyers. And like, yeah, we do have a lot of smart cousins that do like conventional jobs like that. But like, you were a cousin that was also, you were the youngest and you spent your entire high school, just like, I feel like you were just a brainiac and you're like, so naturally smart. And you got into Harvard, which is my high school
1: grinding. Yeah,
0: you were. And it's crazy because like our, our family isn't alum of Harvard. You didn't get in on a legacy. Your parents didn't pay for you to get in. Like you were literally raw dogging that admission. And then you got in. Oh God. Which is crazy because so no one gets into Harvard on like raw-dogging it. In any case, <laughs> you studied computer science, right? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You did yes, computer yes. science. So like you are mm-hmm. like, I'm going to be a computer scientist. And like you would have probably made a fuck ton of money doing that, especially being an alum from Harvard and having all the connections that you do upon graduating like a school of that elitism like that. Anyways, what made you take the shift into something that was like a very consistent very reliable. This is why I love my job. I I like don't like accounting, who likes accounting, but like, I love the stability stability of it. Mm -hmm. But you literally left you threw caution to the wind, you left the stability the guaranteed like like lucrative paycheck for your passion. Like, what was that thought process like for you? And like, how did you decide that? Okay, no, I'm gonna do this.
1: Okay, well well wait, I want also say I <laughs> growing up too, I want to say um Christy and it, your sister, of course and all our older, older cousins, but especially um you and Audrey like were such like you were like the cool cousins, you know. Really? And clearly to this day, uh obviously now we know X knows all, you know, now everyone's getting a taste of that. But yeah, so I feel like I was also like looking up to you guys being like, oh man, you know, I was such a little nerd. But I um, you know, was like, oh, maybe I could do something cool someday, like Christy and Audrey. <laughs> oh, so <cute. laughs> yeah, so hey, I I think you know, you did this. Um, no, but also I think I also really, you know, I definitely still got the degree to be like oh i got to have my little safety thing and i and like you said our family is so um, supportive or my parents were very supportive of me pursuing this kind of creative career. And I think a lot of that is to their credit. A lot of that is to our family. Yeah. Having unconventional careers in their past and nobody died, you know what I mean? Like nobody Mm -hmm. blew up the world. So it's like, okay, I guess it can work, you know, and not a lot of people have that in their family. That's, I think why the netbook baby conversation is out there. Cause it's like, sure. Sometimes it's, it's really like weird where, Oh, so your dad gave you the job or your your uncle cast you in a thing. Okay. That's a little much, but I think also part of that is just having someone in your family who's done a creative career and was able to make a living or support a family that is in and of itself, like such an advantage to know that that's possible or to like have, see people in your life. It could be a friend's parent or, you know, just a person who's not like on TV. (laughs) Um, so that's huge. Uh, I think also, um, yeah, I think also I I wanted to do something that kind of maybe the stability I wasn't, you know, maybe I I was also like, I don't I didn't know what I was doing when I was deciding. Yeah. <laughs> so I think right. there's certainly times where I'm like, well, stability would be nice, right? And that's why I kind of maybe like more of the within the kind of uh, wacky out there, unpredictable in an industry of entertainment. I kind of do like maybe more of the stable version of that, which might be TV writing over, Hey, let's yes. just see if I can make it as a stand-up comedian. You know, that's a little trickier, a little more, uh, a little less of a paved path. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's just been a lot of naivete and just going into this and having delusions and figuring out later that it's not so easy, but, um, but also being really lucky, and I was able to see some traction with stand-up and see some traction with writing uh, that I wouldn't necessarily, yeah, take for granted. I think I got really lucky when I got my first writer's assistant gig out here. That's a really hard thing to get. But at the time, I was just like I had gotten repped from stand-up comedy, and so they were able to find me a job, and I was able to interview for that. But if you're coming out here with no reps, of course, it's a whole different game. So, you know, I was, I think lucky because I got some traction stand stand-up early on and that, uh, yeah. And that helped me out, but for sure it's, it's, um, I, I, yeah, I don't think I would necessarily know going in, uh, how unpredictable it would be. And I think maybe that's for the best, yeah. um, then I could kind of let it, let it happen and see what goes on. <laughs>
0: yeah i think a lot of the times when you get into something that's a high risk whether it's job or relationship like you you kind of just go into it with just like bright-eyed bushy tail because you don't know any better and i think it's Mm -hmm. almost better to go into it in that way because then you don't learn from your mistakes or you don't know the meaning of hard work or like the hustle that it takes to get where you are today and i think it's uh it's it's a risk, but like the reward can be so high. And the fact that you've already achieved the success that you have, and you're still very young, um, with, again, you're not a Nepo baby. Like our family is not actors or anything. They're not in the industry. So it's, it's very, very impressive to see like where you've gotten today, like boots, truly bootstrapped. And I wanted to ask too, like being at Harvard, you were on the Lampoon, which is like their editorial, like they're like comic editorial. Maybe I'm botching this, but like, I'm curious, one, like the initiation process and how you got into it, because I feel like it's incredibly competitive. Like if people think that like sorority rush is like competitive, I feel like this is even more competitive. And then two, also like, do you think your being on a Lampoon and creating connections like assisted you a bit or like really not at all? And explain yeah, what The Lampoon okay. is, because I'm not I'm not describing Yeah, sure, well. sure.
1: OK, for sure. Yeah. So the, the Lampoon, it's like a comedy magazine. You know, it kind of it's like a dated concept, but like it's literally a print magazine where people would write like funny pieces, <laughs> like funny little. Oh, that's funny. Poems. I don't know. So anyway, and and, and comics and illustrations. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of a thing, I think more so than just the magazine itself, I think it's got a legacy of so many successful alums. So you've got Conan O'Brien, who's probably the most successful or whatever famous, and then a bunch of Simpsons writers, a bunch of like, it's mainly TV writers and comedy TV writers, I would say. But also it's kind of expanded into just entertainment at large. Yeah. Um, but although a lot of Saturday Night Live writers and uh, producers and stuff, Um And yeah, so I think it was kind of like a thing where there's a lot of lore around it. You want to join because you're not sure what it is and you think maybe it will help you if you want to go into comedy, if you want to go into television. Uh, So that was something I really wanted to join going in, put a lot of time into it. And um, yeah, the the, the process, I mean, okay, I don't really know much about like sorority rush because I didn't really do that. But I think like, I assume they're kind of maybe equal in the sense of like, time commitment. Cause I assume, yeah, you got to like, maybe with the social or stuff like sororities, fraternities, like you got to yeah. meet people and you got to be buddies yes. and drink. I don't know. But exactly. I think with this one, it's like a little nerdier it's like, you got to write a lot of funny things or draw. I did the drawing thing. So it was like, you draw a lot of funny things and you pull, I put a lot of time into that, you know? And so it wasn't, and it, the process, it's not supposed to be about like getting your friends in and who, you know, and who's funny and who's, or sorry, it is about who's funny, but it's not about who are your friends. We tried to make it yes. really like, who's actually going to, who's the funniest one in this situation and like make it blind. Of course, things like that. It's never perfect, but I think um, there was an integrity of at least trying to, I think, get funny people in and people who were like creatively really talented and really dedicated um, rather than like my buddy, <laughs> my roommate yeah. is really funny. He says some funny things. But yeah, so, so yeah, we... Uh, do that. Um, Initiation process. Yeah. I mean, it's secret or whatever, but you know, we that's so crazy. Yeah. I don't don't even know. I mean, it's probably very different even now. I have no idea. And then um, what, and then I guess you're in and you get to make the magazine, but it's also kind of a social organization as well. Um, But uh, yeah. Did you, anything else? I guess uh, alums come back sometimes. It's fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I was going to ask. So like the alums that do come back, do they do they like all right guys Conan O'Brien's gonna be here on July 10th show up at 7pm we're gonna do a social <laughs> hour like how does that what does Dude. that look like
1: yeah I don't know I mean I guess yeah maybe a little bit of that like I don't think Conan ever came back when I was there um but certainly you know writers were in town uh people who are just coming back to visit the campus like who maybe. like who which um, celebs so- have you met yeah. Um, I guess BJ Novak would come back a lot Oh, okay. or not a lot, maybe like twice, but I don't think I was ever there when that happened. So, you know, you kind of also kind of have to be like, maybe it's not announced, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we'd have like celebrities come through, you know, as like you could um, invite people or whatever, I guess. So if people were touring nearby or somebody was speaking at the college, you can maybe say like, hey, want to, you know, want to see the building and the building is very historical. And I think that's also a fun draw um, from the comedy. Like if you're just a history nerd of comedy in the United States, I think it's a very like cool building to
0: see. And like learn about
1: so that was
0: you guys, a draw. Do you guys um like sleep there at night? Is it like a dorm? I don't know. Oh my <laughs> god! <laughs> oh my know, god! Wait. So if I if I was like if I was like Sierra if I was touring Harvard and yeah, I was yeah. with you could mm-hmm. you take me in there or is it very yeah, very yeah. particular? Oh, I, I uh, you could take me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, probably a member could I think. So I couldn't just knock on the door like, hey, 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 ladies, like my cousin is Sierra (laughs) Cotto.
1: But you could try. I don't know. I mean, it depends how I guess who's in there. And yeah, I don't I don't know. It it would be less of a guarantee, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, (laughs) I remember one. I don't remember if this was when you were still at Harvard or this was after you graduated. But how the fuck did you meet Jimmy Fallon?
1: Oh, yeah. So he so a lot of former Lampoon, uh, or whatever, our Lampoon alums, are writers for him, producers, so they had a, oh. they put together a big thing where we, like, gave him a, an award and did a little parade,
0: and so that's why he came to campus. Mm-hmm. What was he like? I've heard some shady shit about Jimmy Fallon. Oh, how funny.
1: I honestly, no, I didn't get that at all. He was really nice. Um, he, like, knew, he, I had been on Last Comic Standing that year, and he, like, knew that I was on that or something. He like commented. Stop. Yeah. Which was like Made my, made my year, of course. Um, so that was really personable, but yeah, I mean, I think like it was a, it was kind of a, a pretty hectic time. Like we had the parade, so there was like a lot of things going on and, um, yeah, I think it was, it was kind of a lot, but, uh, overall, I mean, he seemed personable and nice. I didn't have any, particular experience of him being shady, but you know, we were there, it was by there for like a few hours. It was really quick.
0: Yeah. yeah, No, I, I think it's more of like in his personal, like he's kind of shady of like, um, he just gets drunk, and I think maybe like there's allegedly he like cheats on his wife. and like, Oh, like they had been... that whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yes. Like NBC or like there's scandals. Like NBC is like telling him he can't drink anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's more just like behind the scenes, but like I've never heard he's like not gracious to fans or like people. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was very so crazy. that makes sense. I mean, me yeah, we feel... were all a
1: bunch of kids too. So it's like, I don't think he was like gonna get <laughs> he was not going to be mean to us you know we were just yeah like, he's oh, like fuck off you. we're all like 20 yeah yeah so, so it was cute. very
0: um quick and chill but yeah mm-hmm. so cute well the next thing I wanted to talk with you about millionaires is so you you mentioned up top you have a podcast you you've kind of taken a pause on it are you by the way is it ever starting back again or are you kind of just retiring it
1: Oh, I, I think I want to start back again, but maybe with a new concept. But uh, but yeah, at the moment it's on pause. Uh, stay positive. Uh, your episode, one of the best, one of the greats. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think also yeah, I, I take a lot of inspiration from your podcast. You the way that you run this, I'm like. You know, like we said before, you're on it. You got you sent me this outline before <laughs> the day before. You got me. You got me like, whoa! They just got me on the weekend. You know, um, <laughs> so I I think you know seeing the the uh, how a true podcaster does it. I'm like, oh yeah, maybe I shouldn't just meander <laughs> around and think that I'm making something. So I think I, if I were to do it again, I would come with like a an actual plan.
0: <laughs> you're so fucking funny. Like this is the funniest part about you is like you, you are so smart, but you're so spacey sometimes. Like, I feel like just like who you are. You're just kind of like, you live in your own world. I feel like you're too smart for this world. So you're in your own world. I find that with a lot of like smart no, no. people, they're kind of just like wandering and floating, you know, through the world. <laughs> oh, it's no, so
1: funny. No, yeah, you're I need so any sort
0: of direction,
1: but yeah. So I think, <laughs> yeah, that's why I, I kind of will listen back to some of my episodes like, oh, I didn't really know what I was doing. What was I going for here? But you know, it was all about interviewing a guest and I loved being able to do that, like being able to talk with people for a while and have those, that kind of reason to have conversations. But I would- No, you had a legit setup. A more, um, you, I mean, not, had- yeah, but not, not like, not no outlines. I don't know. Anyway, I would, I would want to do it again though. I love podcasts. I'm a big, big fan of the, of the medium.
0: What would you, so if you do a rebrand and like a reshift in terms of like, just like the structure, what do you think, have you thought of any ideas of what it would be? My main idea was, I
1: feel like I want to talk more about failure generally um, and do something kind of about that. You know, I love my, I love stay positive. It was about kind of mental health and how to stay positive, but that was a little too generic. And I feel like it also kind of has a bad rap of like, toxic positivity is a thing. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't want to pedal in that, but, uh, I kind of liked the idea of staying in that sort of talking about stuff in the open mental health, um, struggles, things like that. And failure to me kind of felt like a fun place to start because we don't necessarily talk about it. It could be of a successful person. Um, But like, for instance, I feel like we only, you know, we only hear about people's successes and how, and failure is only ever a tool to be like, and then they got fired from that job, but then they got the other job, you know, but it's like, there's actually value in the failure itself, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I think uh, there's beauty in the breakdown as the script. Actually, I don't know if that's the script for dashboard confessional or whatever, but yes, (laughs) I totally agree. And I find the most compelling stories are from the struggles and how you come out of it. And of course you don't see it in the moment when you're struggling and going through anxiety, depression, any other type of thing. But I think like once you come out of it, it's so rewarding because you understand how to navigate life so much. It, life may not get any easier, but it's a lot easier to navigate when you have those coping skills and the ways to kind of like self-regulate and heal yourself when you understand struggles and how you are able to overcome it. So I love, I love that idea. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, about your podcast specifically was there was one episode and I can't remember what the, like why you had decided to even do this part, like this episode, like what event led up to it. But you talked about like in the space, there's this comedian, obviously like not naming names, but you talked about this comedian that was like being incredibly like aggressive towards you, not like physically it maybe, um, but like very, sexual or just kind of inappropriate i guess and i'm curious can you like walk us through that scenario like what happened and then i also want to hear about just like being in the industry how this could happen and do you see it like there being more of a conversation and people being scared to behave in that manner or do you think people are always going to be like this
1: oh yeah um okay so that particular podcast episode i remember Basically, I think it was kind of around, it was like deep in lockdown, everybody was online. So a few comedians were getting um, called out for inappropriate behavior, uh, alle- you know, alleged, right? So namely, I think in that time, it was uh Leo was kind of under fire. Shout um, out,
0: shout out, he went to your high school.
1: Shout out did he, did he go to my high school. Yeah, he went to lock me out of high school. He okay, wait. Okay. So my oh so much. Okay. So a couple yeah. things too about him. And like this isn't the person that I have, I've like barely interact with him. Um, but I was a big fan, you know, so it's such a bummer, right? Um, allegedly. Uh, but yeah, so he basically he went to my high school and then get this. One of the teachers at our high school who like, of course, every high school has them, or maybe multiple. The teacher who's like too chummy with the students, like loves the popular kids and like elevates them beyond where you're like, come on, you can't be a part of this too. Um yeah. He, yeah. So that guy, <laughs> that guy apparently like, who also my older sister, Melissa, she was five years ahead of me. So she even had the same experience. I'm like, this guy's been doing this for ages. This guy's just passing <laughs> down. Generated. But anyway, so just kind of, you know, nothing creepy, but he was just like too chummy. Um,
0: yeah.
1: He would always brag to us. Oh, I was friends with Chris or I'm still friends with Chris Cause like he was so, he was a famous comedian at the time, all the high school, you know, we we're all like, oh, he's so funny. Um, yeah. And, and then lo and behold, this teacher, I think eventually got in trouble for like, maybe inappropriate stuff. I don't know the full story, allegedly. Um, So anyway, but of course, then it comes out that Chris Lee is also doing this stuff, allegedly. And yeah, it's just it's truly like, uh, it was such a disappointment, I think, to so many fans. And there's, you know, do your own research, folks. But I think overall, it's, he, he's not alone. There's so many other comedians who kind of, there was this kind of domino effect of like, oh, wait, well, if we're talking about that guy. What about this guy? He did this, you know, <laughs> And then yes. so many problems. And it's, um, you know, it's unfortunate. It's a, it's a space where you're performing a lot at night. A lot of people are drinking. Um, it's kind of more of a social environment. So you don't have HR, you don't have a works workplace vibe. Oh God, yes. So I think there's just a lot more, um, stuff that can go down without people raising, um, an eyebrow to it. And then, you know, and then we kind of started to g- understand things a little bit more. And, and, uh, 2020 was a kind of a reckoning time in many ways. And I think that in particular kind of bubbled up. So then I talked about that. Um, and in my experience, you know, I started to stand up when I was like 16, I would go to open mics. Um, and you know, I was very much, Safe and totally fine. I mean, my parents would drop me off and like wait nearby. (laughs) Like they were, my parents were on speed dial, but uh, I had like a little life alert button for them to come. No, I'm kidding. Um, But overall, like I think they, (laughs) I think it was a ripe time, you know, people like that prey on young, vulnerable people. And so I think I was somebody like Minnie at that age who was eager to get better at stand up, to get the approval of seasoned stand up. So for how young and vulnerable I was, I don't think I went through anything horrible, but I think what I kind of was disappointed in is if, hey, say an older male comedian who I respected was really, took an interest in me and was like, hey, you're really funny. Hey, you want to open for me? Like, I would take that as like, oh, this is huge. I'm like, my career's taking off. And then instead sometimes, or one time really only, I think I, it was very clear to me that like he was like just wanting to, uh, I don't know, be, I, it's like, I don't even know what it would be. It's like, you're like an old man, but overall, um, I would also be in a lot of spaces where the comedians, the men were like probably in their forties and they had like almost all of them girlfriends in their early twenties. Um, and, and it wasn't, it was just like very common. So I think as a girl in my early twenties, I was like, oh this feels weird. And I was kind of uncomfortable. That being said, um, with the changes, I do believe it, it is slightly better. I think my perspective is a little skewed because I kind of started to move away from comedy clubs and just into spaces that were a little bit more comfortable for me, um, running my own show, you know, doing a, uh, doing TV writing, which is a little bit more like a normal work environment. So I'm seeing it less maybe because I'm in it less, but I think what's great is basically what used to be the case is you'd have to go to these comedy clubs and kind of hang around, make friends, network, and be there for long hours in order to kind of see your career, uh, your stand-up stage time go up. And now, you know, we have social media, you have like so many other ways that are safer, hopefully, maybe they have other downsides, but, uh, to get your voice out there, get noticed, build your audience. You don't have to go through these gatekeepers who sometimes these gatekeepers have power that will make them. Yeah. Yeah. That will put you at a disadvantage or take advantage of you or whatever. So I think that's, what's the big change is like shifting the power away from fewer people. Um, because sometimes power corrupts and, uh, Also, just diversifying the spaces that you can do stand up in. It's not just this like one comedy club that's kind of dominated by a bunch of guys who have been there for 30 years. It's also this bar over here, or this like gay bar over here, or like this awesome, you know, little coffee shop that actually just does it during the day. You know, there's just a lot more places where you can do it. And I think, or you could just be online and do it. You know, I think there's just so much uh, more options, and that makes it a lot better.
0: Yeah, that's a good point that you bring up about people in the space not needing like a mentor, so to speak, as much anymore as he once did because of the access that young people have to TikTok and Mm -hmm. Instagram reels. Like that's how I know of so many comedians now is through like, I mean, the first person that comes to my mind, and I don't think he's actually funny whatsoever is Trevor Wallace, but he's so fucking good. Mm At marketing himself, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then the way that he like edits his videos, does his content, he's so good at it, which is why he gets so much. And I was actually listening to an episode of, with Nikki Glaser. I don't remember what podcast I was listening to her on, but she was like saying this exact same thing you were saying. She's like, I would go into comedy clubs, and it was predominantly male. You feel like you would have to rely on these older men to help you, like lift you up, to be able to like, give you audiences as big as them. But now you have people like Trevor Wallace that are like quote unquote, breaking the internet and you can kind of forge (laughs) your own path without the requirement to rely on other people that could perhaps be predatory. Not that all comics are predatory, obviously, (laughs) but like it's it's just more of you can have more autonomy to like create your own future. So do you think what are your thoughts on like digital creators like that? Do you find do you find it's like um, who do you think is like a legit, like funny digital creator like, oh, that guy deserves like more recognition? Oh, interesting. I mean, so many. Yeah, I, think I think love, like, I love, uh-huh. I, I was going to say that. I love, like, I think of, like, big digital comics as, like, Andrew Schultz, mm. like, uh, Trevor Wallace. um, Who else? <sighs> like, Jared Freed. And do mm-hmm. you know who he is in New York? Yeah, yeah. He does The Bachelor, and ret- Bachelor yeah. reviews or whatever.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know yeah. him personally,
0: but yeah. He, uh-huh. Yeah, like, he's funny. So, I'm just curious. Like, Hannah Burner. Um, but I guess this might be just cause of my space that I'm in. Cause I, oh yeah, I no, those are all bravo. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Okay, are all yeah. Bravo Jason. So this is why I'm naming them, but I'm curious what, what comics, digital comics do you find to be? very funny
1: yeah so many yeah i okay i a and also second just like it's so great i think it's it's so it puts the power back in the creator's hands they don't have to rely on you know the taste of like one person too because even if the person's not being yes. creepy it's just like hey i have an audience for this some people may not get it but comedy's so subjective so like if a million people like it like who are you to say that it's not funny so anyway um yep. there's uh who are co- creators are like i mean look there's a lot of like uh I Think June Lee comedy, I think, is on Instagram or on TikTok, maybe too. I don't know. He's a, he's like this funny. Um uh, he does a lot of like sketches and things like that. I think uh there's uh who else? I think Catherine Blanford is really funny. She's actually mainly a stand-up comedian, but um, she also has a podcast or something as well, which I haven't listened to, but um, but I know she's like has puts a lot of stand-up clips online that are really funny. Um, and you know. Maybe people don't know about her, so I think she should get more traction. Um, I, uh, the, oh, oh, wait, what's his name? Alex. Oh shoot,
0: I might have to look this up. <laughs> look it up. There's this guy that yeah, I want to call to shout with, uh-huh. and I wasn't friends oh, with I him, that. but like I, uh-huh. we had mutual friends. His name is Joey Avery. Cool.
1: I don't have you heard of him?
0: No. Oh, no. He, he's good. He. I feel like he. He looks kind of like Trevor Laws, and then he's like a little bit like fratty California bro, mm-hmm. but he's actually so. So funny, and I enjoy his oh, cool. I enjoy his shticks. Joey Avery,
1: nice. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'll check it out.
1: Um, I, I just remember the name Alex Falcone. He was this. Um, he is a standup comedian. I, I think I met him in Seattle. Or he was from Portland, but he is now in L.A. But he makes really funny, like just facing the camera videos. You know what I would say too is it's like I think a lot of standup comedians, myself included, I I haven't figured out say how to do just the digital creator like front facing camera comedy and I think if people who figure that out or what works for them you know that's really exciting I think that like it's cool to see when stand-up comedians kind of give up their sort of precious way that they tell comedy and figure out a way to do it for their audience at home you know that's fun I think that everybody has a different way of doing it and they you know we figure it out over the course of trial and error but um Alex Falcone is somebody who is really funny on stage. I would not, you know, imagine that he would even consider doing anything else than stand up because he's really good at it. But then he does these little videos, you know, where he's just talking to the camera and it's a story, or there's like cool things he's showing that he's made. And it's like, oh yeah, this is like completely different from a stand-up, but still very funny and still has the essence of what makes him funny. Um, and so I, I just appreciate that. I think in a lot of comics who, you know, maybe haven't had the traditional like, um, thing opportunities maybe they aren't acting or writing or whatever but like they're funny and they they just need to find their like niche in the comedy world you know
0: yeah do you ever see yourself like fully I I mean even like I can think of it from a podcasting perspective I know everything is going to video and like uh Mm. every podcast feels like you have to be on video to like go somewhere and I just frankly don't have the time the money or the energy to understand how to learn how to do it so i was i started to outsource it to to like a uh, a person on fiverr who did a really good job but i just okay. i was like this isn't worth it i wasn't getting as many clicks as i wanted i wasn't getting getting as much movement from tiktok to my podcast so i kind of just mm-hmm. stopped but do you ever see yourself kind of leaning into that space cuz i feel like that is where entertainment is heading it's like mm-hmm. tiktok and like but it's just <laughs> so much the better, i feel like to learn it is just a lot maybe that's just cuz i'm old <laughs> no, no i, me, I so. agree
1: i uh, yeah no i i I feel super old for a lot of the new stuff and, and but yes, I do think that is where it's headed it's important to like stay open and figure it out I think it's scary it's like especially if you kind of learn something well like say stand up you know. I feel like I, it's comfortable. And so then like trying something new and failing at it's like a little scary when you have something to point to where you're like, well, I just tried and failed at stand up, you know, like I was doing that for years and finally got to a point where I got a little bit better. And then now I got to start over and basically do like the open mic of TikTok, you know, where I'm just putting myself out there and then, you know, oh God, the comments, you know, don't even get me started on like, having so the negative feedback, which people have to deal with all the time. Like that's a lot. I don't think people had to necessarily, you know, maybe stand up, you're performing to a debt to dead silence. That's pretty rough, but at least somebody's not yeah. like specifically commenting on like what the problem with your face is, you know? Um, yeah. so I think it's very hard, um, to do, but for sure, I, I am always trying to like, think about what to do. And I want to be very like I think more deliberate about it. I've kind of in the past, maybe just been like, okay, you just got to post, let's just throw anything out there. And I think that's a good tactic, but can kind of lead to burnout. So trying to be a little bit more like deliberate about it and take deliberate breaks so that I can come back and be more consistent. Um, I think that you know, that applies to my podcasting strategy as well, or whatever, or lack thereof. Um, but yeah, for sure. I think that is important because look, you know, we're on strike for writing, say, that's not even a career that maybe you can guarantee will always be there. Um, mm-hmm. Acting certainly isn't. So at least with social media, though, it's like just as, you know, maybe more difficult in some ways, just labor intensive. But like, you know, you're the, the controls back in your hands a little, maybe you have a Patreon, maybe you, you know, there's just a little bit uh, better. And I think everybody's just losing so much power when it comes to being a creative that that's like where you can kind of get it back a little.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, and I totally understand what you're saying about, like, it's just, it is so much, even putting out a podcast, like I can't even imagine people that do so many things like, okay, again, Trevor Wallace, like he does podcasts. That's like very successful. He goes on tour. He sure. does all these TikTok. It's just like, how do you do it? Like, I don't think people understand the amount of work it takes to even deliver like a weekly podcast. Like, I think people mm-hmm. come into my DMs and I think if you want to start a podcast, I highly encourage it. Like you don't, you literally just need a mic and like a computer and like garageband or audacity or whatever your thing of choice is but it it's very easy but it's just like just know before you go it's so much work and that's like any other endeavor like tiktok that's just again it's something that even like be real like it's taken audrey's like a, my sister's obsessed with be real and like that's just one another app i have to like deal with it's too much it's too much work like i can barely like I'm good at Excel. I'm, like I understand Instagram and I know how to podcast and like upload an episode, but anything beyond that, like my mind is capped. Like I'm already, I can't do it. Yeah. Are you going to get on threads? Yeah. Oh, see. Oh God. No. Cause I'm not clever. <laughs> I'm not clever. Even with, my... I just troll Very people. Like, I mean, it's just Twitter, or...
1: but yeah. Oh boy. Are you on threads? Yeah. I just joined yesterday. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it's to, stressing me out. You, follow. Hey, yeah! you know, honestly, it's stressing me out. Cause it's like, oh yeah. Twitter like got, scary quickly and this is just going to become twitter and i haven't been on twitter in in ages you know so i was kind of like happy that that was on the downturn but now we're back with
0: threats yeah and as a comic it's like you gotta be on your a-game like you gotta be funny
1: yeah yeah you gotta be funny and you gotta be not problematic
0: (laughs) yeah see that's my always my thing. every time i'm like posting something like so many people will dm me they're like you're so unhinged and i love it i'm like no i know like i i I have diarrhea of the mouth. Like, I literally just, like, I'm <laughs> no, like, you're stupid. And a like, good that's way, fucking though. stupid. Uh. And I'll, like, Shh. scream, it. I'm like, I'll just throw it up. I'm like, who the fuck does this bitch think she is? Post. Oh, my
1: God. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That is a little
0: unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> it's unhinged. But like in the I best way. Yeah, yeah, In the best, in the best we want way. It. So, we want it. Yeah, no. it, it's what brings, what brings attraction to my IG. So, the last thing, millionaires, I want to talk with you about is the sex life of, of college girls. That. I guess first, before we even dive in, I'm curious, do you think the show would reach a success that it did? Because when did oh, it come gosh, out? 2021? I 2021? think so, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, um, so when, uh-huh. whatever, oh, when it, it came out, we are like, oh, is probably going to be whatever, but then it blew up. Yeah.
1: Well, oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's like crazy because it's probably I just don't even know what I thought. I mean, I thought it was going to be good because I think, you know, I even didn't see all the scripts or I was not in all the episodes. So I didn't see all the scripts. I also like only saw the scenes I was in. But Mm -hmm. I think from reading the scripts of of the episodes I was in in season one, I was like, this is pretty good. But then, you know, you don't, I, I, nobody knows, everybody says like, you'll do like an awesome thing. And then you'll be like, it's going to be amazing. And then like, nobody watches it. And then sometimes you do something bad and then everybody watches it. But I like to think that I thought it was going to be good. And I was right. You know, like there was an element of, they were just really doing something. um, A college show is just needed, you know, and they did it in such a great way where it's like, you're getting so many different stories. um, Just a big, like not any reservations about just like a bunch of characters and a bunch of really like different weird things, you know? So I felt like that was really cool. It was funny. Like I thought that the jokes were funny on the page and I didn't see them film, but like, I just thought it was going to be funny. And then they were tackling tough topics, which I thought was, you know, fearless and people want to see that. So I believed that it was good. It's just, you just never know, I guess, because sometimes stuff yes. comes out and it's quiet and nobody didn't promote it, you know, but this was something that I think also having Mindy Kaling's name, it's like, oh, okay. Well, like people know that's tried and true. Never have I ever did so well already. Yeah. So there was like getting to kind of piggyback off that. Um, but yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I could claim to have the eye for that, but I like to believe that I liked it and knew it would be good
0: yeah the show and i told you this like after i watched it i was like the reason that the show i think was so good was because all the a lot of the times like i can think of again i bring it back to gossip world because it's like a high school show mm-hmm. and this was a long time ago obviously when it was written but you could tell sometimes in the way that they actually know a good example is emily in paris because that's more topical <laughs> and more recent the way that it's written and granted i only watched the first season and i didn't i thought it was cute it was kitschy but i didn't love it i didn't love it enough to continue watching the subsequent seasons, but you could tell via the way that like they would even text that it was like written by like a fifty seven year old that was like, This is probably how twenty five year olds text and would like write (laughs) something on the script. It's like, hey, see you soon with like the C Oh my God. That's always yeah. 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 Right. Like all caps sometimes or like it's so weird. (laughs) Nobody writes So it's like people don't write like that. So that like that's just a very small snippet of what I mean. But when like The one line that continues to fucking make me laugh out loud is when Kimberly was like, in season one, she's like, he liked my photo. And she goes, then he deleted it. And then Bella's like, he liked it. And then he unliked it because he didn't want you to see that he liked it. So he's basically obsessed with you. And I'm like, "Eh, that's literally, I'm like. That's literally a conversation I have had, like, yesterday. Like, it's just such a talkable yeah, way yeah. that they let these young adults interact. And you could tell someone young and fresh wrote it. And it was so specific. Like, Kimberly Guilfoy, is that her last name? Literally will go down yeah, in history. It's one of my favorite characters of all time. Like, she's so oh, fucking yeah. funny. She's so good. She's yeah. so funny. And same with Bella. I think those were definitely, like, my favorite oh, amazing. characters. Yeah. But something about Kimberly is so... Well written, and she just plays cool. it so fucking well. She's such a weirdo. Um, <laughs> I just, I love it. I love it. So I'm curious, like, and there's a show that's like, you know, has Mindy Kaling's name attached to it. It's an HBO Max show, now known as Max. You know, you know, it's going to be a big deal. So, how one do you get approached for it, and what does the audition process look like? Yeah. So when we, when they were
1: casting season one, it was like deep pandemic. It was like 2020.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah it was 2020. I guess it was like summer. So maybe, maybe like a few months in. Um, so, yeah, I don't know it, the way auditions often work. Like my, I get them from my acting agents and they send me, Hey, here's one <laughs> that, that they had already submitted me for. So it's like, basically, I think what happens on their end is they have all these clients they kind of look through and they go, okay, here's a role. Uh, they need somebody who could look like they could play a college student who is, you know, in this case, it was an Asian uh, girl. Um, they needed. And who's I <laughs> who's a writer on a humor magazine in college? Oh, wow. We have a client who did exactly that. No, it doesn't always line up that well, but it's basically like um, they submit you for it. Maybe they send in your headshot, real resume, and then the casting agency goes, oh yeah, we'll see this amount of people. So they might narrow it down a little bit. And then you send in a tape. So they like send you sides to show, which is just like a scene from the show uh, where your character is in it. So you can kind of show how you play that character. And then because it was deep in the pandemic, and this is how it's kind of been since COVID um, is you just self-tape at home. And you send that in. And it used to before that, like I'd have to go drive into the casting agency and like tape with the people. And that was really great. But I would get pretty nervous, you know. I mean, I think so depended on the thing.
0: So um, nerve-wracking. Are you well, kidding yeah, me? And more That's but more nervous? So yeah,
1: yeah. But often like more nervous than I would performing on stage. Just because it's like weird. It's like you're with one other person, it's a little more pressure. So so anyway and they're videotaping you. So basically it was kind of nice doing it from home because I could kind of just do it in the privacy of my own home with a friend or whoever and um it was just way more comfortable. So I think that helped a lot. And so for me, I sent in a tape and then like I didn't hear anything for a while and then my agent's called and I was writing on a show at the time and they were like, "Hey, how's your like writing job? Is it like really intense where they won't let you leave to act for anything?" And I was like, "Oh, I think it's fine." Like they were very this writing jobs very sweet and kind of chill and all remote. And, uh, they're like, okay, well, cause we heard back from, uh, this Mindy Kaling Sex Lives of College Girls show that, you know, you're kind of a top pick. So, what? you know, we don't want to oh move forward. We don't want to move forward unless you can definitely do it. Right. Cause you don't want to like take the job if you can't do the job. Okay. So sorry yeah. to interrupt, but
0: mm-hmm. how long from when you submitted the audition tape to when you got that call, like, do they make you wait it out yeah. and sweat it out that long?
1: Well, here's the thing. You can't be waiting for any audition because, Back, I mean, I'm not doing auditions now because obviously we're on strike. Things are really slow, yeah. but, you know, at a, at a busy time, maybe I'm taping, maybe I'm doing like three auditions a week, which is not that three? much, but it, some people do like 10, but like Asian girl, like it's not that many, but I mean, I think, you know, increasingly still so, there's more, but I, yeah. you know, I was maybe three a week. Okay. So you can't, I, like the minute I send it in, I kind of forget it exists because I just can't really like be waiting around. Right. Because A, you're sure. going to just like, you know, 99.9% of the jobs you're not going to get or whatever, 99%. And then um, it's just better not to feel devastated if you don't hear back, you know, because then you'll kind of be discouraged overall. So I didn't even, I don't, I can't remember how long it was. I I think the the process was fast because this was a TV show that they had to film soon, but also they were casting so many people. I'm sure like, you know, my character's pretty, low priority. So I think, you know, maybe it was like, okay, let's just like figure this out, you know, um, after getting everybody else done. So I don't know how long it was, but maybe like a few weeks. And then, Mm -hmm. um, the other thing too, is I remember reading the script. So oftentimes when they send you the audition, you get to read the script just to know what project you're auditioning for and know the tone. And, uh, I remember reading the pilot and I was like, oh my God, this is so good. Like, I, I really wanted to like, like just, I was like, I wish I wrote this or like, I wish, you know, just to be a part of this, like, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I was just so taken by the pilot, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it was just really cool that it worked out in that way. But anyway, yeah. So that that's just how it wasn't. So oftentimes though, I mean, I got really lucky, I guess maybe they were rushed. I don't know what, why I didn't have to like go do a callback or anything. My agents are good. I don't know. So like basically what happened for a lot of people normally for a lot of things you send in a tape and then you maybe do a zoom callback where you're live with them. And I know even the girls, like obviously for the leads, that's the most important, make sure they have chemistry, make sure they really, you know, work for the show. And so I think they had to, you know, you normally do like a camera test with the other actors so that they make sure everybody has chemistry. And I think they still had to do it on zoom because it was really still dangerous COVID, you know? And, uh, The fact that they did it all on Zoom and got those four girls who are all so good and, like, work well together, like, that is crazy. Because that's just not, you know, normally you have to be in the same room and just see how people work together. But anyway, it was all cast via Zoom, which is, like, a huge win for just, you know, the whole production, the casting people, the, yeah, showrunners, Justin, Mindy. Like, it's it's crazy.
0: Uh How often, like, I know Mindy was, like, the... Is she is she the head showrunner or is she the producer executive producer director yeah I
1: guess co creator executive yeah I think co co creator co showrunner I guess would be I don't know what
0: her how often did you like see her when you were on set like did you see her a lot yeah um,
1: first season I think I saw I mean you know I was barely on set that much so I think I saw her at least definitely the first day. We had, uh, oh yeah, first day that I had like lines, like she was there directing a little, like helping to direct. I don't know if she directed the episode. Uh, No, she didn't direct the episode but she was there like kind of help, you know, get everybody going. And she was really like, yeah, it was, it was intimidating, but it was great. Like it was pretty cool. Um, So her and Justin and then Justin Noble is kind of more always, always there. Like, you know, cause she would have to do her other show or do a bunch of other mm-hmm. things. So I think that time it's saw her the first time I read lines. And then also the second episode. And then honestly, I don't know if I saw her that much after, because then it kind of becomes like, it's good, you know, like they, we get it. And maybe she was there for other scenes that were more important, you know, but I think at a certain point it's like, Hey, we're good. You know, we, the Justin's got it and she, she's there in the writer's room and stuff and available, but not going to be in the minutia as
0: much when when you say like they're directing you so like what does that mean so like you're like saying your line she's like can you actually say it with a little bit more poi or like how does that what do you yeah. mean direct yeah yeah so
1: there is a director of the episode who also does that but but because you know it's tv the writers are so important and Justin and Mindy are the creators and showrunners like they also have such a kind of directorly role too so yeah they would come in and say like hey can you pace that up a little bit make it faster or um i think yeah you know maybe maybe a line they wrote they're like it's actually not working with you let's let's switch it can you say this instead oh yeah sure oh can we try an alt line you know alternative like take where you say this joke because maybe that's going to be funnier we can't tell until you know you're saying it right so so especially comedy i think it's such a collaborative thing or whatever in the moment thing that sometimes what's funny on the page may not be funny when it's on the floor so there's a lot of like here try this out and then we'll decide in the edit room which one to do um And yeah, so, so yeah, she gave a little bit of just like little things. I can't even remember what exactly, but she was, uh, but I remember, I think I made her laugh. I can't remember oh my God, what exactly, yeah. but that was very exciting. I played it very cool. Um, I think what happened what is it was the, it was the scene where I was being mean to Bella and I think they were trying to like, they were like being like, Hey, you can be really mean to her. You're going to make up with her soon. Don't worry. Like, like, I think that, you know, they worry for the actors to be like, Oh, but I don't want to be so mean that I get written off. You know what I mean? But like, I knew yeah, that yeah, yeah. I, I kind of like, I was like, whatever, like, we're just uh, doing this. Like, I, I just get what you want to get. Right. Um, but they were trying to be like, hey, don't be afraid to be very mean here because next scene, you're going to be, we're going to make up. It's going to be okay. And then yeah. I, I don't know. So that's kind of what
0: the main direction was. How long did it take for you guys to fully finish season one? Like how long was the shooting schedule?
1: Oh, season one.
0: Because I know I like movies, like, they'll take like three yeah. weeks and I don't understand how how that is.
1: Oh, well, like. no. Yeah. It's definitely way more. I mean, you know, it's 10 episodes. So I think at least. It was January to maybe August. uh, no, Ju- oh, June. Wow. Yeah, January to June, I think, wow. for season one. And then season two, it was like wow. a shift a little later, March to August or something. But yeah, yeah. And then the edit is so quick, and they got
0: it out that year.
1: So yeah, it takes a little. You know, it's ten half hours of content.
0: Where was that outdoor school? Like, where was that filmed? In season one, it was uh, what's it called? V- Vassar. Vassar,
1: Vassar College, worse, I think is in upstate New York. Might I might be wrong. So pretty, very pretty. I think they still use a lot of the drone shots for the second season. But the second season, they actually went to go film at uh in Washington and Seattle. um oh, I think University UW? of Washington. I think yes so. Is it really probably. like it's got that same kind of stone like exterior? Looks very yeah yeah. So that yeah, but
0: then I think they still use a lot of drone shots from Vassar as Essex. So do you, is in the interiors all at Warner Brothers? A lot is. I think the first season
1: we did some in like on location in like Pasadena because <laughs> there was like a house that looked like it could be the inside of like a frat or like our comedy club or whatever comedy group. Interesting. Patulin. And then we also did some at UCLA for like lecture halls, yeah. um, you know, interior of the school. But yeah, I think season two, we were all, I was always on a stage because I was basically in the same location. And like, it is great if they just can build the room, like the dorm that they're in, you know, you want to do it all on a stage because you want to keep moving stuff to a location. Like it's, it's so nice when you can just shoot in that very, like this building is made for shooting. So like, you can't hear any planes. You don't have to pause for anything. You park, you know, where to park. There's, there's food over there. Like it's very, um, that's like the quintessential way to shoot. I think if you
0: can do you just feel so fabulous? Like in the glam chair, you're like, I am so famous. (laughs) Everyone wants to know my name. Like I will be so like, I will be such a narcissist if that were me. Like, and have they ever done glam on you? And you're like, I look so fucking ugly. Whoa. (laughs) Like, have you ever looked at yourself and you're like, ew, I look so gross. No, no, there's a,
1: there's like no time for that. Like they like, you're, you're coming in. So you have the exact amount of time that you need to get Look like looking like your character, and I think also acting. It's like as much as everybody, I think from the outside, I definitely, I mean, it got you know so many beautiful TV stars and stuff. But acting is like really, you can't be about your looks because you're you're looking like your character. Like my character wears where you know wore some preppy shit. I'd never be caught dead in. But it's not about what I want to look <laughs> yeah. like, you know, or like yeah, you know yeah, she, yeah. they're putting her hair in bows. I'm like, okay, I don't really do this, but you know, of course this doesn't matter, right? Um, yeah. So I think that's important. Like actually Umrit, uh, who plays Bella, like she was kind of saying like, you know, uh, her acting journey way back when she's like well you know i used to think acting was modeling right like and that's a really good way to put it it's like you think that oh well i got to look pretty and that's this is for me to have my skin glowing and for me to have my nice pretty eyelashes but then it's really not about modeling as um you know yeah. we all know it's really about you know becoming the character and Making it look, uh, making it look real, not necessarily beautiful, but of course there's shows like Gossip Girl where it's like, well, everybody's a fucking model anyway. So literally, <laughs> so doesn't matter if they don't, <laughs> but, um, totally. but no, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, you know, the, all that sort of stuff that seems glamorous, I think is but also it's just kind of like it's just actors being prepared to do the work and then you get a trailer to wait in but it's just for you to stay out of the hair of production <laughs> so you're not you know like it's just oh, things yeah. to be like let's just put these kids over here so they're not bugging yeah. anyone and getting in the shot and um yeah it's all like practical stuff it's it's not for ego or anything but it is kind of funny how it's it can it can become that if you make it that but uh,
0: yeah, yeah. Do you guys like go into each other's trailers and like gab? Or do you literally sit by yourself in the trailer?
1: The season one, like we couldn't because it was COVID time. So you literally had to wear plastic and like we could had to stay six feet apart. Like if we did that, we would be in trouble. So like, I, you know, I became friends with everybody, but it was really like um, safe and everything was, you know. But then second season, we got a little... Morley way. And I, I'm really close with uh, Cheyenne who played my, like, like Joe, who's also another girl in the uh, Catalan later Foxy and, you know, Izzy too was also, uh, she played Carla. So we would all kind of be there on the same days and always kind of, you know, get to hang out. So that was good. But I think also, you know, there's a little bit of like, you're you might be called to set at any point so you don't want to be like in the wrong trailer you don't want to cause issues where they're like where is she oh she's over there jesus this one has your name on it like stay in your fucking spot uh so i don't know there's there's not a lot of time to gab um as much in second season where like it was a well-oiled machine people were you know on schedule it was very
0: uh yeah it wasn't as much gab time (laughs) so like okay one last question about the logistics so like if you, if let's say like you're in reads like trailer, you guys are just ch- chatting mm-hmm. and they're like, where the fuck is Sierra? Like we need her on this like thing. Do you know exactly when you're supposed to go? I just like, love to know all this shit. Like when you're in the trailer, okay. It's like, I have a call at one Do you know that? So, like- yeah. So you know when to get there and
1: then you check in with the, you know, uh, typically second idea or whoever is kind of like running shit, uh, mm-hmm. and talent particularly. So, but honestly after that you don't necessarily know what time you need to be in makeup like they need to come pull you because things are very fluid you know they could they you they can make as much scheduling and planning as possible which is very important but like inevitably oh shit you know we didn't realize i was going to take a little more time that scene so actually we're running behind or oh ooh, that happened quicker than we thought so now we're 30 minutes early so you do kind of just have to go with the flow and i think that's that's what can be tough about acting if you're somebody who likes to be in control and know where you need to be and you want to like Go to the bathroom when you want to go to the bathroom and stuff like that. Like acting may not be the job for you because it is really like you're kind of there at the mercy of the production, as is the case. You're part of a team. So you kind of have to just be available and ready to like change your life, you know, you know, change what you had set. Oh, actually, we're shooting this scene first. Okay, great. Let's give me let's do that one first and the one that I thought, you know, it's it's all very um kind of uh you have to be up for that kind of thing. Um so, yeah, you're not necessarily in control of your schedule as much as one would think. Unless you're, you know, Robert Downey Jr., then then sure.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. So interesting. This is like my, this is like a fantasy. This is what I wanted to do when I was little. Like, I could never do it now. I can't handle criticism. But like it's so cool what you do. Can you tell all of my listeners where to find you really quick, quick. Oh yes. Yes. For Sierra's millionaires, well, I'm on even threads, though you have no. way more followers, you have way more followers than me. So I don't know. Oh no. I think they're all bots. I don't know what's going on. Um, <laughs> the,
1: uh, the, so yeah, I'm on Instagram at Sierra Kato. That's S I E R R A K A T O W. That's mainly where I'm at most on threads there. <laughs> I haven't posted anything yet but you bet I'll be on threads uh I'm on TikTok same things at Sierra Cato, I think um and uh at Sierra oh no sorry www.sierrakato.com has all my stand-up dates but mostly yeah I think Instagram's the way to go
0: yeah and if you guys are in the LA LA area she does stand up a lot down there so or up there so you guys should definitely check her out she is so funny so cute just like Cute as a button, Sears millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank Too you funny. so much for joining the X knows all podcast, oh, and all everyone. The, the dream. I know. I'm so, I'm so happy we could do this. And this is honestly so fascinating, so interesting. And I know that like my listeners are going to eat this up because this is the shit they, it's like not oh, even the glamorous. No. Like, I want to know the little minutia between all of sure. this. So this um, yeah, unfortunately it's
1: probably, you know, bursting the bubble on a lot of (laughs) glamour because I'm in the non-glamorous region of entertainment at the moment.
0: (laughs) But yeah, it's it's very, it's all
1: very, you
0: know, practical stuff, I guess. I love it. Well, thank you so much, millionaires and everyone follow me on Instagram, rate, review, subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.